Hello, everybody. I'm Jorge Garcia Garcia from Liwa Capital Advisors. And today we have Sarah Mavrinak, who is a healthcare and tech entrepreneur. Who and we're going to talk about women and finances, women and savings, uh, which is a very important topic uh, in these days. It has always been, but it's now coming to to full attention. So I will let you introduce yourself, Sarah. And then we'll kick it off. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be here and to talk about a, a topic that actually filled my life for many, many years. I've recently become a new health tech entrepreneur, but for a long time, I was focused not on health, but on wealth. I was originally a professor of accounting at, at INSEAD. Um, and then moved over and became a social entrepreneur. I started my own school um, to support women's um, financial empowerment. This was in Singapore. Um, and that was one of the most rewarding things I have ever done in my life, um, to see women find the confidence that they need to begin saving, to begin taking hold of their own future, and investing in not only the financial assets that, that they wanted, but also in themselves and their um, human capital and their entrepreneurial capability. And they, wow, would launch small businesses back home. Um, many of them came from the Philippines, also from Indonesia and India and Thailand, for example. Um, and they really changed not just their lives, but the lives of their family and the community at large. Um, so I was embroiled in this women's financial empowerment movement for a long time. So I'm delighted to be back talking about it now. Thank you, Sarah. So what do you think, we all hear that and we read that women have small savings either on an absolute or a relative basis. What do you attribute that to? Yeah. So it seems as though for every $1 a man has in savings or in investment, in wealth, essentially, women have 34 cents. So that's quite a significant. Wow. Yes. And so why is that? I think there are probably many answers to that question or many factors that are influencing this unfortunate situation. The first one would be, of course, that far fewer women than men actually work in the formal labor markets. Okay, women, almost all women are working, you know, and we're working in our homes, we're raising our children, we're cooking the food. And but in the formal labor market, only about 50% of women are formally employed. And that's in comparison to about 80% of men. So clearly women have less money of their own to start with. Even when they do work though, they earn less than men for a comparable job. We still have that very unfortunate reality. What was I, I think it's 84% it's that women earn versus the 100% that men, so it's a 16% Gap. Well, gap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But now, for every dollar, let's say all things being equal, does the actual savings of women 
is that larger or smaller than men? So if both earn a dollar. Don't smaller. So they both, so, so, so the, uh, women save less. Uh, and there's no questions about that. Why is that? One of the truths that I learned about, um, again, when I had my school in Singapore, was that women tend to take care of not just their families, but the communities at large. So when they get a dollar, it goes back to the local economy, and it really is improving the welfare of many people. Men, it seems, who are also wonderful providers at time, but only 63% of their dollars go back into sort of like the local environment. So there's a lot of like sort of spending on their own personal, you know, I don't know what it is that they're out there, you know, betting money on the horses or something. But um, so women are spending the money taking care of their families and they're saving less. Why is that? I think it's because women have lower financial literacy. They are less well-educated. Isn't that, couldn't that also be a product of the type of relationship the woman has with the man? As in, we're going to share expenses, who's going to contribute what? Does that play into this whole equation? Well, then, I, I mean, absolutely, 100%. There's an awful lot of women who just like turn over the res responsibility for the finances to the man, which is not a bad thing because we also want to be thinking about, you know, sort of dividing and conquering. We should let whomever feels most comfortable um, and who is most capable, you know, manages. So if, if the woman is indeed a fantastic chef, she should be doing the cooking. and you know, and your family, you know, you're the financial expert. And so you should be doing, but then the money should be invested in such a way that she has equal control over it. In which case we should see the number of, of, of women saving being higher, right? Does the number change if the women are single or married? Do you have any data point on that? Uh, I have... I don't on the, right now on the tip of my tongue, I don't have anything, <laughs> but I have been, I have seen them. Um, single women have very little. Single women have very little. And so, yes, in the, in the, um, this is a very good point that you bring up. Married couples can do better together. So women can do better, but they're maybe not doing as much as they could or not realizing as much savings and certainly just it could simply be the the couples are not thinking sufficiently carefully about her welfare because of course she's going to live longer right on our on average women you live two years longer than men so um and often when um people get married often the man is a little bit older than the woman so she dies and she may have two, but it could be five or 10 years um, of 10 years of life alone when she needs to be thinking about the money. 
Now, he may have provided sufficient amounts for her, but does she then know how to use it? So this idea that, yeah, he should take care of it all because he's very skilled and capable in that area. Okay, it's a very good, but she needs to be able to manage just in case, right? It's like taking out insurance. Right, absolutely. This is a very interesting topic to me because I have three daughters mm -hmm. and it's something that I feel it's not talked about that much at a family level. What do you think about that? No, I think that's really true because I think um, many people in certain cultures, I think this is more true, um, but certainly where I grew up in New England, um, money is kind of considered crass. It's not one of those things that you talk about much. Um, and yet we need to change that because our, our world is money-based, right? Um, it's kind of like, I was thinking today, when women take care of children, when you have a small child, okay, you know, pooping and peeing and stuff, that's not a, that's not something you want to, that's not something pleasant to be talking about, but it's the reality of a baby. You know, you have to change the diapers. It's the reality of our lives that we need to manage our money. And so it shouldn't be something that we kind of sweep under the rug or dismiss as untasteful. You should be having those kinds of conversations with your daughters, but I bet you do. Well, again, easier said than done. So I think we're going back to, or we're going into the educational aspect. And this is like many topics when you're raising a family, whether the schooling system does it, or do we start in the family environment? Right. Okay. In many of the developed countries, right, we have invested in financial literacy in the school systems. I have watched that over the last 20 years. There's no question about it. But very, very interestingly now, our in the United States, um, 15 to 35 year olds have lower levels, levels of financial literacy than the 35 to 65 year olds. I, I just saw that grouping. So our kids these days in the school systems are not getting what they need. So I think in that case, we absolutely need to have family participation. Kids should learn financial literacy at their parents' knees. And because this is, to me, it's a fascinating topic. Um, what, what do you think are the key? Well, first of all, do you think financial literacy and financial education is gender biased? That is a wonderful question. Um, I don't know. And I haven't heard, I haven't heard about any research that looks into that. But wouldn't that, if all of our other STEM programs are gender biased, as I believe they, I don't want to 
point the finger, but, but I believe that, aren't they? I mean, we just don't see many women in STEM, you know, in this science technology. And, um, so if those, if we're not seeing women moving into STEM in the way, so maybe there is a gender bias. Is it actually in the delivery of the material or is it in the exclusion of women as they enter? Is it just because we put a little few too many hurdles in the way of women as they're going into those areas? And are we doing that in financial education? Are we saying to women, oh, it's not so important that you do the financial education. Don't think about that course. Go, why don't you go take a typing course? Or not that they have typing courses anymore, but <laughs> why don't you learn to do some sewing or something? or hairdressing. Don't worry about that. Maybe we're doing that. I don't know. But it's also possible that we would not teach the financial education um, in a way that's accessible to women. Very Where would Yeah, sorry. No, just a no, good I, question. I was going to ask you, so Given this landscape, where would a young woman or even a grown woman look for resources? What, what would be the steps to say, hey, I need to up my game. What do I do now? Yeah. Uh, there are an increasing number of financial education programs around the world. And I'm sure here in the UAE, we have them. I know it is because I know we do because these, the UAE is one of the fabulous high income developing countries. Um, and they are tuned in to the importance of financial literacy. Interestingly, it seems as though the wealthier a, a, a country is, the more financial liter financially literate its people are. And UAE is a wealthy-ish country. And so there, there are, without question, financial literacy programs here. I, I would have to Google around to find where they are. But we have podcasts now. So you don't necessarily have to go to a particular facility or take a particular course. You can just begin listening in to the podcasts that are around. And what I love is that the podcasts devoted to women these days, I mean, the number has increased significantly. But a lot of them have also taken on a financial feminist tone to them, which is, that might sound funny to some people, but I think it's just more that they have decided that this is a true calling, that there has to be a movement to empower all women, you know, as a feminist movement would. And so there are tremendous things get, that can be learned um, from those podcasts, and they are out there trying to reach more women. I was looking at a number of them today. You mentioned that, you, or you just said that financial literacy levels are higher in wealthier countries. Yes. How do you see the, is there a geographical divide? Developed world, Europe, the Americas, Asia, obviously income and wealth comes along with that, but are there less wealthy countries that are highly literally, is that a factor on it or not? 
are there less wealthy countries that are highly financially literate? I'm going, I, okay, the devil's in the details. So I could be wrong, but I would say no. Because I, there is a fantastic new study that's been put out recently by the Global Financial Literacy Excellency Center. Global, Global Financial Literacy Excellency Center, GFLEC. And that's at George Washington University in the United States. And they just surveyed 150,000 people in 140 countries around the world. And so they've got data now on financial literacy levels, wow, everywhere. And it, I was dumbfounded. Do you know what percent of people are considered financially literate now? No. 30%. That's it. Only 30% of the world is financially literate. And that means that they are competent in at least three of the four significant areas of financial education. Okay. Um, those are numeracy. They can basically calculate. For example, if they go into a bank and the bank is going to give them uh, 3% interest, they can calculate how much they should have after one year. Then the second area that needs to be understood apparently in order to be financially literate is um, compound interest, understanding what that means, how you can use your money to make more money. And then the third one is inflation, okay? So there are some, this is the one area where you can have a very poor country where people are very literate. Um, they're not generally financially literate, but they know about inflation. So in South America, we've seen like incredible inflationary levels. And those people are going to be pretty with it when it comes to um, how you need to manage under those conditions. And then the yeah. third, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't want to no, I was just going to say the fourth thing, which is the real big problem, is risk diversification. And this is, a Yeah. For investment, you need to understand about how you safely invest across a variety of different investments. Yeah, we're very big on diversification, but I have seen many programs that I've lived for many years in Mexico and Brazil, and they're fabulous, fabulous programs for women who want to start their own micro businesses and they get funding, they get micro loans, they're wonderful. I have not seen one of them say, this is what happens when you make money. So what I have seen is the journey of setting up your small micro business. You have a craft, you go to the market, you sell it. But it's the second part that I don't see. Hold on one second. Yep. We're going to put this on hold one second. Okay, I'll repeat the question again. By the way, this conversation is, is going in a great, great Good. I'm so glad. <laughs> it's just such a rich topic, right? I know. Okay, so Sarah, uh, I spent a lot of time in South America, Central America, Brazil, Mexico, and the other countries. I've seen a lot of programs that help women start their own micro business. They get loans, they get educations, but I have not seen any that says this is what happens when you're profitable and are making money. 
Is this your experience? Have you seen this? I have to agree with you that, that indeed you can have these brilliant microfinance programs, but they're not providing the a full array of financial education. They're simply providing people with the income to get started. And maybe, maybe they'll have something about uh, basically a, just an accounting kind of system to help people keep track of their money, because of course they want to make sure that people can pay their loans back appropriately. And they may, if they're very sophisticated, have a, a bit more about business and strategy and how you're going to position. But you know, so many of the microfinance programs are just financing the same kinds of businesses over and over and over again. So everybody's selling, you know, a particular coconut juice or everybody's weaving a certain basket and you'll get you'll get six or seven different businesses along a street all selling the exact same thing with no diversification at all so no i don't think the microfinance programs are doing everything that they should do which is one of the reasons why i thought our program actually my program was particularly valuable for a lot of these women because we were first trying to help them save then develop um, the business plan and the strategies to help them grow a business. And then we would help them make the investment often through their families back home and get the family actually invested. Because that's what this is a, a lot of times about. This needs to be a family affair, I think, this whole financial literacy thing. That's interesting because what do you think is the role of financial institutions or advisors such as ourselves and even the government in financial literacy for women? I think it's increasing significantly. In fact, one of the big problems in the lower income countries right now is that there is much more inclusion. And this has been one of the big issues that, you know, the UN and the World Bank have been bemoaning for a long time is that that in the um, lesser developed countries, people can't get a bank account. I mean, you'd have women actually just saving their money under their mattress or actually yeah. I heard about they would pay people to take their money away to get it away from you know the dad or other family members who might come in um, and just kind of say please please and they, so they would pay somebody so a negative interest rate basically so women would give somebody the money have them take it away so that it would be saved um, now Thank goodness, there are many um, financial companies that are making their services available. So now you can save money on your handphone and there are ATMs around, you can deposit your money, um, but there's not financial literacy to go along with it. So people may be saving, but not appropriately. So this is, I think, the risk diversification issue and the investment issue. It's, you mentioned, which is a, a very good point, those different topics that women should learn about, diversification, compound interest, um, all those kind of facts. But I still see women, the other side of the coin, women pay more for goods and services. Oh. When a woman purchases a car, the car loan might be more expensive for a woman than for a man. How do we deal with that? Well, that's also part of education. That's, so you actually just touched on 
what I understand is the major cause for the wage differential between men and women, okay? What I, okay, this is not gonna be true for everybody, but certainly for young women with more education who are going into professional circles, those women don't negotiate their salary in the way that men do. And, and it over our lifespan, our salary tends to be a function of what it was before. So you get a certain amount of raise or you move to another company, but what you get there is a little more than what you got before at the last company you were at, but there's usually some kind of reference to what you started with, right? So if you start lower, you will end up lower, right? And in fact, they've discovered that that the, the, the rate that women were underperforming in terms of their wages was exactly equal to the difference in the amount that women had, that men had negotiated up, 16%. The men had negotiated a 16% higher starting salary and women hadn't. So women went through their career earning 16% less. Do you think that's a regulatory issue? Do you think that addresses a problem saying all, you know, beginner jobs, everybody starts at the same level? Or do you think, obviously, it's a responsibility of the worker, but should do you think there should be some intervention here? I don't know. that. What do you think? I mean, you've got three daughters. Do well, I think it's a combination. I think... I think it's a combination of both in the sense that when we all finish university, you know, compensation should be, should be the same. Nothing differentiates me from you. We just graduated. We're not proven. We're not tested. We don't have any skill set. It gets complicated as we advance in our careers. Yeah. So a lot of the onus has to fall on the woman to say, wait a minute what's going on here but along with that is opacity in compensation yes because how do i know i'm getting underpaid if i don't know the base salary of my colleague or my friend so it's a very exactly. difficult situation no but i but i would suggest that what we should be fundamentally dealing with is women's lack of confidence um, and her inability to negotiate in the first place if we could just solve that problem Okay, then we just like let everybody out there and, and you know, they have to develop these skills themselves, right? But if we taught everybody, then I would think it's a level playing field. But, and this is in fact, the, the financial literacy gap that they see between men and women, right? I think I told you that 30% of people globally are financially literate but the number is actually 35% for men and only 30%. What did, yeah, it's 33% globally, 35% for men and 30% for women, okay? And that a third of that gap, that 5% gap actually can be explained by um, women's confidence. Um, just as fascinating. This is, I, I'm, I think I mentioned before that the, there's been this big study done by the GFLEC, the Global Financial Literacy Excellency Center. 
So when they measured or when they looked at these um, 150,000 people, um, they noticed that women were choosing don't know for many of the questions. So they would give them some options and then a don't know. Women were predominantly choosing the don't know. When they took that number out, I'm not number, when they took the don't know choice away, then women had to pick one, right? And they tended to pick right. So they re the researchers realized that it wasn't that the women didn't know, they just weren't 100% sure. And they didn't really want to commit to a particular answer. So they just said, oh, I don't know. Too bad. There we go. We're back to education. So I think now we have framed the, the issues or the problems. But I'm going to ask you, where would you start? There's so many places that we can start fixing this. But it's always better to come with a simple easy, achievable goal, solution, where would you start? That's a rather- I don't want to put you in the large... hot seat. No, 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 I because I think, I mean, so we have in my mind, multiple issues, right? One of them is the confidence issue and the belief in fact that the woman herself deserves this kind of education because she should be out there in the world creating value. She can be an entrepreneur, she can be a businesswoman, she could be leading a company. We need to be, I think, building women's confidence, generally speaking, and be teaching them that so they deserve and they are capable, okay? Then we have to teach them what it is that they should know in order to better manage their lives. So I guess I'm saying, I, I guess I am deciding what is most important to teach first. And I kind of think it's the confidence thing first. Maybe Great. on reflection, I'll think differently, but what, what would you want to teach your three children? I think confidence and problem solving skills. <laughs> The better you get at that, the more confident you become. It's almost the I don't know answer. Yeah. So if you take that choice away and you have to solve the problem, and as you say, they get it right, you increase your confidence and it feeds on itself. It yeah. really feeds on itself. Oh, I think that is a virtuous cycle that you can go in, isn't it? And yep. if you, you know, one of the things to get to your your discussion before, is there a gender bias in financial education itself? Wow. We need more women only. Um, women only financial education programs. Well, I was going to, since we were talking about family, and there's been many studies on a family that have single sex children and the interactions between them. If you have a family of all men, all their children are men, or all your children are female, the outcomes are different as opposed to having two girls and two boys. Mm. So I think that also starts at home. Uh, it's very important to start at home. And, you know, as I, I, I did say, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a question of starting with confidence 
but also should we have, um, there, there are a lot of programs, women only programs that have helped women in many aspects of their life. You're, you're very familiar with it. I haven't seen one of financial literacy designed only for women. There are some podcasters, there are some wonderful women who are on TV all the time that really teach about savings, but it is in general, it is not focused towards women. And I think we're missing that. That's too, yep, I do. Although in the end, women need to participate in the world. And so once you've kind of built confidence and you gotta let them go out and test their wings and fly with the boys. And hopefully we'll see great things. Great. Thank you very much, Sarah. This has been a great conversation. Uh, I think we should have more. And uh, we'll follow up on similar topics or the same because we can be talking about this forever. Indeed. Okay. Thank you for kickstarting. Thank you. Have a good day.